It's the year 2000. Eminem is letting everyone know who the real Slim Shady is. Britney Spears is doing it again, topping the charts, that is. And the biggest debate amongst teens all over the world is, are you a BSB fan or an NSYNC fan? Both of those boy bands owned the year 2000, but the Backstreet Boys definitely did so on a more global scale. With the release of their fourth studio album, Black and Blue, the Backstreet Boys took their superstardom to intense heights this year. With hits such as Shape of My Heart, The Call, and more, Black and Blue is one of the group's most timeless albums. So join us today as we take Take a deep dive into the world of black and blue with AJ, Howie, Brian, Kevin, and Nick, the Backstreet Boys. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Kadosh and I'm here to welcome you all to Planet 2000s, a place where we celebrate pop music's most iconic moments from the most iconic decade in pop music history. Let's dive in. Hey you guys, this is Michael Kadosh. Welcome to a brand new episode of Planet 2000s. Thank you guys for tuning in. This week we're going to be talking about the Backstreet Boys. And since we did an sync last week, I figured what a perfect transition. So why don't we get started? We're talking about the Backstreet Boys' fourth album, Black and Blue. And this actually was their third studio album in America because their first album was only released in Europe and then kind of merged the first and second together to make the American first album. But you know how the 90s worked. It was a very different time for music and how people heard music. And so you the labels were able to control what territories heard what. For that reason, that is why technically this is the Backstreet Boys' fourth album, but if you're American, it is their third. So it was released November 21st, 2000 on Jive Records, and it was recorded that entire summer, July to September, so only within two to three months, because they were on tour for their album Millennium for just over a year. They were just going non-stop, non-stop, and went straight into the studio. The first teasers that were released were released to Burger King restaurants in August 2000 with the song It's True. The album is a pop, teen pop, dance pop, and R&B album. So it's classic boy band territory with the little sprinkles of some R&B in there. You get that little blue-eyed soul that the Backstreet Boys know how to do so well. The producers for the album included Max Martin, Rodney Jerkins, and Babyface. And actually, seven of the songs were co-written by the band members themselves, which was a first for the band. This was the first time they had ever really taken control of the writing of their album. Now this CD, where did you, uh, where'd you record it? In the Bahamas. Yeah. You wrote a lot of it in the Bahamas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long were you there? Uh, two weeks. Ten days. Two weeks. Yeah. That's all it took to write the whole thing. Oh, we we just wrote a couple of songs there for the album. Like yeah. we wrote eight songs, and out of the eight, uh, three of them uh, that we wrote down there are on the album, nice. and the rest we wrote in different places. The album title is a nod to their dual musical sides, the R&B inflections of their music, while blue being their mushy crooning, as some of the musical publications of the time used to say, as well as the abuse suffered by the hands of their previous manager, Lou Perlman. And on the new album, they wanted to make sure that the sound was way more grown up, and that was something that they focused on. They didn't want to just be known as a boy band that little kids like. They wanted the respect from the older audiences and from the bigger music conglomerates as well. Getting older and want our music music to be for all demographics, all people. Uh, Our audience is growing with us. We have a large adult contemporary audience. Our first number one single was on the adult contemporary radio here in the U.S. So (laughs) we're we're also going to be in our our 20s. I mean, you know, we're still going to have some really funky stuff. Funky young stuff. You should be backstreet boys and men. Boys and men. Boys and men. Ever thought about that? Boys and men. And man. Me and you are still boys. Oh, so I'm not a man, Oh, you just said I'm not a man, (laughs) The promotion for this album was intense. When I say intense, I mean 
taken to a level that I don't even think any album has done since then. What they decided to do was because since the Backstreet Boys were such major, major artists worldwide, they decided, why don't we take this worldwide? So they did worldwide promotion across six continents in 100 hours, making an appearance or a performance in six different continents across 100 hours. So they went to Stockholm, Tokyo, Sydney, Cape Town, Rio, and New York, and they just promoted the album. They rented a huge jet, kind of similar to what Rihanna did in 2012 with her 777 tour for Unapologetic, except this was in 100 hours, not seven days. So 100 hours is what? four days just about, four and a half, four days in a bit, they really were doing some rock star shit right here, you know, going all over the world and just promoting this album. They were drawing crowds of over 100,000 people in some of these territories, especially in Rio, Brazil, where all the fans go crazy in Brazil. This was quite a genius marketing tactic because it really did set them apart from NSYNC because while NSYNC was very successful, if you listened to last week's episode, which pause. If you haven't heard this episode, maybe listen to the NSYNC one first, because the NSYNC album came out first, so it's kind of a whole story. NSYNC was way more popular in America, whereas Backstreet Boys were huge in America, but they also had worldwide success that NSYNC boys just couldn't really match up. Backstreet Boys really did take over the world, and this whole promotional aspect of the Black and Blue album was planned by Jive Records in order to show that, look, we're different. We own the world. We don't just own one continent. I think we're all... Uh, very much anticipating this trip Um, it's going to be good it's going to be a lot of work um, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that people will see uh, later on after it's all said and done you guys um, will be following us everywhere Yeah, we're uh, we're looking forward to it we're excited about it it was uh, kind of our our idea in the making and uh, to actually come up with a concept and fulfill it and go through with it um there's been a lot of planning on our management's behalf and uh we thank them for that and we thank all the crews that are going to be with us what could we do next that we haven't done before that was the big question you know for the release of the album and then it sparked and also we were like okay well why don't we try to drop the album yeah all around the world try to get to all of our fans and drop the album in each individual country or continent and um you know, we, we went through it, and then we weren't going to do it, and then all of a sudden, it turned out about the last minute that we were going to do it, and uh, how were we going to do it, and it just, it kind of all just fell together, fell in our laps, and, you know, it's it's going to turn out to be, hopefully, a very historic moment, you know, for us, you know, if everybody else thinks it's historic, then that's cool. Pretty incredible that an idea that we had to, to take a trip around the world and, and promote the album would uh, draw this much attention and our fourth album the fact that we're on our fourth album it's like every day uh, things happen you talk to people somebody says something that just makes you kind of pinch yourself and realize how far we've came and, and what we've accomplished with four albums so so there were three singles that were released from the album there's shape of my heart the call and more than that shape of my heart is the first single and it's my favorite song on the album and it's maybe my favorite backstreet boy song if you want me to be honest it's just so beautiful and so pretty and the vocals are just amazing and the melody is just classic max martin gold all music's editor stephen thomas erloin wrote that the song flows as gracefully as i want it that way proves that the backstreet boys do teen pop ballads better than anyone i can fully agree with stephen because because if there's one thing the Backstreet Boys know how to do, it's how to make 
write and record an amazing pop ballad and they've done it pretty much their entire 25 26 year career so you know you got to give them their props for that ship of my heart was nominated for a grammy for best pop performance by a duo or group it lost to you too but you know the fact that it was nominated is still quite amazing it was written by max martin rami and lisa Moskowski, and it reached a top 10 in the usa australia uk and it also hit number one in canada italy new zealand sweden and switzerland well, the title of the song <clears throat> is uh, shape of my heart the shape of my heart is based on someone messing up. It's a, it's a sad love song, a typical sad love song. I would say it's definitely not a typical love song. It's basically about a guy that uh, is looking back on his relationship, realized that uh, he's made some mistakes. They haven't taken the time to, to show that person the love that they needed to show them. No matter what you think about us, if, if you listen to our song and you can feel something in the vocal performance, that's, that's what counts. If the music lives and it has a soul to it and it touches you, that's ultimately what's gonna matter. So the second single from the album was The Call. And a funny story about The Call, which I always loved this story because it just goes to show you the genius of music producers and how they can literally turn anything into a sound that you then jam to. So the song's bass sound, which everybody knows that da, da, da. You know, it's kind of like a hard bass. That sound is actually a manipulation of band member Howie D's fart, his flatulence. (laughs) So he said, and I quote, I got in the booth and was breathing in really heavily, singing my part, and I guess some extra air kind of came out. It made everybody laugh, and Max decided to take that and sample it and turn it into the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, and I quote. (laughs) Band member AJ McLean later also admitted on the Oprah Winfrey show, in a little bit of a darker turn, that this video shoot was where he started doing drugs. In an episode that he did for Oprah that was discussing his recovery from depression and drug and alcohol abuse, he said that he tried cocaine for the first time on the set of this video. First started using drugs uh, the night of the uh, call video shoot. That was the first time I tried Uh cocaine. Um, We had our individual call times were in the evening. So we had... uh, it, it, the entire video shoot was was meant to be shot in the evening, mm-hmm. so we um, we all had call times one in the morning, two in the morning, three in mm-hmm. the morning, and we only shoot or shot once as a group, which was the very final scene in the mm-hmm. uh, video. Mm-hmm. Everyone else shot individually. I went out that night for my solo shot, had a couple drinks that night, went back to my hotel room, passed out for like an hour, had to wake up, and I was completely groggy. And a friend of mine that was in the hotel room with me said, look, I've got some coke. If you want to pick me up, just do two bumps and, you know, whatnot. And, and you'd never done coke before. No. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it was a conscious choice because obviously you'd been exposed to it. I've been exposed to it. Yeah. And the way I look at all drugs, alcohol, any type of addiction, I don't, for me personally, believe in addictive personality. Everything mm-hmm. is by choice. Yeah. You choose to continue doing the drug repeatedly. You mm-hmm. choose to to drink excessive but amounts. But doesn't there come a point when you've had so much in your system that it becomes harder to make the choice to let it go? It becomes harder to make the choice to let it go as well as it becomes harder to get the high because mm-hmm. your body becomes so immune to it. So you need more. You need more and more and more to get the buzz that, that you got the first time. We'll talk more about this era and everything that had to do with AJ and his struggles that really came to light when the album was just coming out. Because like I said earlier, you know, the boys didn't really have a break. They were touring nonstop for Millennium and they went straight into the studio and straight into promoting. They didn't get a single break and that really took a toll on all of their mental health and AJ unfortunately succumbed to drugs and alcohol. They ended up having to postpone some tour dates, but we'll talk more about that in a bit. You know, he went on Oprah and said that 
the shooting of this video was when he started doing drugs for the first time. The song itself was very successful in the UK, Spain, and Italy, reaching the top 10. It didn't really hit too hard in the US, but it was a huge hit on TRL. If you were an MTV watcher or a much music watcher like I was, you definitely know the call, and it is a Backstreet Boys classic, and it was written by Max Martin and Rami. The third single from the album was More Than That. Entertainment Weekly praised the graceful way that their voices blend on the chorus, while Rolling Stone praised the symphonic splendor of the track. It was written by Adam Anders, however, it only reached number 27 in the US. It did better than The Call on the charts, but, you know, still fell a little bit flat at radio. However, it did very well on TRL, and the video was retired there in 2001. So, something to note is, back then, the way that songs charted on Billboard were very different than they do now. This was a pre-streaming world, so everybody had to either buy a single or have it played on the radio. And a lot of the time, the record labels wouldn't release songs as physical singles because they wanted people to buy the album. So that, in effect, changed the charting of the songs on the Billboard Hot 100. A song like The Call, that everybody knows, only hit number 52 because it was never released as a physical single. It was only going based on radio play. Most of those songs were huge hits on MTV and TRL, not so much at radio because radio had a little bit of an older audience. These songs that we all know and recognize so well, like The Call, like Overprotected by Britney Spears, you know, didn't chart very well on Billboard. And it was just a different time for music and it goes to show how much has changed in such a short period of time. You can only imagine how the artists feel, you know, getting ready to release an album one way and then 20 years later you're still around. The way that you promote and put out music is just so different. It's very interesting to me and always has been. I just wanted to take a moment to let you guys know where you can find me on social media. I am on Instagram at Planet2000s, or you can hit me up on my personal page at Michael Kadosh, C-A-D-O-C-H. If you guys want to talk about some good old pop music or just reminisce about some good times, then make sure to hit me up there. I'm also on Twitter or Facebook at Michael Kadosh. Back to the pod. All right, you guys, so if there's one thing that the Backstreet Boys are known for, it's putting on electrifying live shows. So it was no different for their Black and Blue tour. It was titled the Black and Blue World Tour, the fifth concert tour by the Backstreet Boys, and it ran from January 22nd, 2001 to November 25th, 2001. It was the highest grossing tour of the year with a gross revenue of $315 million, you guys. That's insane. It was sponsored by Burger King, Kellogg's, and Polaroid. Opening acts were Destiny's Child, Shaggy, Cisco, Myra, and Crystal Harris. Myra and Crystal Crystal Harris, side note, if you watch The Princess Diaries, they sing the two theme songs, Supergirl and Miracles Happen. So it was all a big pop extravaganza. The second leg of the tour began June 8th in the group's hometown of Orlando, Florida. However, it was temporarily put on hold on July 9th, about a month later, in order for group member AJ McLean to seek treatment for clinical depression, which led to anxiety attacks and the excessive consumption of alcohol, as well as his excessive cocaine use. The band went on the Today Show, I want to say the week that they announced the postponement, to announce that they're delaying the tour due to AJ's stay in rehab and they had just performed the previous week. And then years later, AJ would go on to explain to Oprah, which I said a little bit earlier, just how bad the situation was at the time. And I didn't want anyone to know. The boys didn't really know. You know the boys I, didn't know. They didn't know that I had been doing coke yet. They knew about the excessive drinking. Mm-hmm. Plus, how did this show up in your work? Uh, lack of responsibility. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, flaking on the guys, not mm-hmm. showing up for rehearsals. Um, vocally, my performance had gone straight down. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't hang on stage as much. I was winded all the time. Bags under my eyes, lack of sleep, a lot of lack of sleep. Were they ever trying to talk to you about it? Did they ever approach you about it? Um, Kevin approached me a couple times about Mm -hmm. it and said, you know, he kind of approached me and kind of asked me, he's like, dude, are you doing other things besides, you know, alcohol? And I, I actually came to him in a hotel room in New York one time I said, hey, do you want to do some, you know, 
blow with me? Do you want to do some coke with me? And he's like, no, I don't do that. And then that was the first time I think he really knew that you were that I was. Well, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I kept it a secret for a pretty good amount of time. So AJ's drug use and rehab stay wasn't the only hump that this tour had, unfortunately. So, you know, it did happen in 2001, and we all know what happened on 9-11, right? On September 11, 2001, Brian Luttrell, who's a member of the Backstreet Boys, his wife Leanne, and the band's crew member Daniel Lee were scheduled to fly from Boston, where the group played their fifth sold-out show the night before, being September 10th. Back to Los Angeles aboard American Airlines Flight 11. Leanne Luttrell canceled her flight the night before, as she wanted to spend more time with her husband, but Lee was one of the 92 people killed aboard Flight 11 after it was hijacked and crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. Near the end of the concert in Toronto that was on September 12, 2001, Brian Littrell gave a brief speech about the crew member, Daniel Lee, who was on board the flight, and it led the entire audience in a moment of silence for Lee and all those who died that day. It's very eerie how things like this happen. You know, that same flight, Seth MacFarlane and Mark Wahlberg were also supposed to be on the flight, but one was late. Mark canceled this flight Respectively, so it's you know people say the word fate it's very creepy how those things happen and you know i'm sure that leanne felt a lot of guilt for not going on that flight or for not trying to convince daniel to not go on that flight i'm sure the band members felt guilt you know those tour dates weren't supposed to happen those were postponed dates from when aj went to rehab and so i'm sure there was a lot of guilt happening for them but at the end of the day no human being can control what happens and it's just extremely unfortunate that this had to happen when you're on tour you get very close to everybody who's on that tour because it's like a family you know you're on this you're on the road for nine ten months these people are your family you see them every single day and so i'm sure it was very tough for the boys 9 11 has changed the way a lot of things have worked in life and has changed a lot of people's perspective on life this was just how it affected the backstreet boys at the time in terms of sales and accolades for the album this album has the highest worldwide sales week in music history. I'm going to say that again. The highest worldwide sales week in music history. It sold 5 million copies in its first week worldwide. In America, it hit 1.5 million, making the Backstreet Boys the first group in SoundScan history to have back-to-back -back million sellers. Now, the thing is, is remember earlier when I said that NSYNC were a little bit bigger in the US, whereas the Backstreet Boys were more worldwide? Yeah, NSYNC sold 2.4 million copies of their album, No Strings Attached, the first week in the US, while Black and Blue sold 1.5 million. But the Backstreet Boys sold 5 million worldwide wide, which is the highest music sales week in history. What are you going to argue? They're both huge bands, but you know, people are always going to want to find something to pit people against each other, especially in that time. You know, it's hard to avoid seeing some of the stuff that they do. Um, and we pay attention to what they do. Uh, but we, we try to focus on our group and, and us. I mean, we, <clears throat> we've been around, you know, like I said earlier for nine years and we were together and touring and and selling records before before they ever were. So um, it's important to just focus on us and what we're about, because if you look at everybody else, then you lose focus of where you're going. All in all, it was still a very successful album for the Backstreet Boys. They sold 15 million copies of this album worldwide, and it was a number one album in the US, Canada, Germany, Malaysia, Spain, and Switzerland. So I don't think the Backstreet Boys were crying about NSYNC selling a little bit more in the US the first week. This album is iconic. Another huge favorite of mine on this album is The Answer to Our Life. It's such a good song and such a feel-good, fun song. Pop history, pop beauty, 
pop magic. <laughs> Get Another Boyfriend is an amazing one on this album as well. So if you guys want to just have some fun and have some Backstreet Boys moments, Black and Blue really is the Backstreet Boys at their finest. One could argue Millennium is Backstreet Boys at their finest, and it is, but this is just them continuing the magic that they really held on for such a long time. And there's a reason why the Backstreet Boys still sell out arenas and still sell out stadiums, because people love the music, and they're very talented, and they can they still got it. They can still do it, so why not? I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and you guys jam out to Black and Blue today, because I know I will. If I'm going to be very honest, I've been jamming out to it all week. Shape of my heart. Get another boyfriend. The answer to our life has been on my playlist. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and the next episode is going to be Mariah, and it's going to be the finale of season one. So I just want to thank you all for being on this Planet 2000s journey with me. There's so much more to come, and I can't wait to do it with all you guys. You know, we're just getting started. We're just scratching the surface. So I love you guys. Have a great day, and jam out to some Backstreet Boys, all right? Thank you.